So my, uh, my message today is called The Blessing and the Burden. And I'm just going to jump right into this, uh, starting in Deuteronomy chapter 6, uh, starting in verse 10. Uh, this is what it says. So it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build, houses full of all good things which you did not fill, hewn out wells that you did not dig, vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. When you have eaten and are full, then beware lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. You shall fear the Lord your God and serve him and shall take oaths in his name. You shall not go after other gods, the gods of the people who are all around you. So, the Lord had chosen for Israel to be his people. This was going to be the people that he spread his family throughout all the earth through. So he made a promise to Abraham, and he told Abraham, you leave your city, you leave your father and mother, and you go to a land that I'm going to lead you to. And Abraham ended up in the land of Canaan, which the land of Canaan at the time was a cursed land, but it was about to be, the curse was going to be reversed through the, through the righteousness of God. So um, Abraham goes to the land, he receives the promise, um, and the promise was that through Abraham, they were going to, that his inheritance, that his um, descendants would 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 in, inhabit that land. They would inherit the land of Canaan. So um, Abraham's son was Isaac, and Isaac's son was Jacob, and Jacob's name was changed to Israel. When Israel was just a family before they were a nation, the Lord, by His provision, led them into Egypt, and He led them into Egypt to save and preserve them. And, and he blessed Egypt because of their pres presence there. So provision was given to Egypt because of the presence of Israel in Egypt, in their land. So when um, the people that had in, in Egypt that had seen the provision that was brought to them by the presence of Israel, when, they, when those people had died, new leadership came in, and the new leadership didn't see Israel as, as a, an, a vessel of provision, but he seen them as a vessel of threat. So he's seen them as a threat to, to, um, to Egypt and their power. So he sent, put slave masters over them and made them slaves in the land of Egypt. And this is the crazy thing. The, the Israelites, the ones that God had chosen to be his people, were slaves in Egypt for 430 years. And then the Lord said, that's enough. Now, how many of you, know, you guys know that when the Lord says, that's enough, that's enough? That's the amazing thing about God. You could be in absolute turmoil, slavery, for 430 years. When the Lord says, that's enough, that's it. You're not going to be a slave anymore. So we live in the hope that, that, that Lord, who, who controls all things, when he says that's enough, that's enough. And he said that's enough. So 430 years of slavery ended in a very short amount of time because God said that's enough. And he sent these plagues on Egypt, which basically forced Pharaoh's hand to release um, the Israelites into freedom. The Israelites went to the Red Sea. He literally sp split the Red Sea in half and let them walk through on dry land. And the Israelites walked into freedom by the leadership of God. When the Lord was leading Israel out of Egypt, and he was leading them to the inheritance that he had set before them, the promise that he had made to their fathers, he was leading them out of bondage and into freedom. He was leading them out of toil and into provision. And he was leading them out of lack and into abundance. 
And here's the, here's the great thing about the scripture. The same God that led them through their wilderness desires to lead us when we say yes to Jesus out of spiritual bondage and into spiritual freedom, out of spiritual toil and into spiritual provision, and out of spiritual lack and into spiritual abundance. The Lord wants us to be rooted so much in him that all of our joy, all of our peace, and all of our satisfaction is only found in him. In Colossians chapter 1, starting in verse 21, the scripture says, And you who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through the death to present you holy, blameless, and above reproach in his sight, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, in which I, Paul, became a minister. Faith is a journey. It's not a destination. It's not, it's not a, a landing place. It's not a plateau. It's an ascent. It's a journey that we're, we're on. It's a journey that we're on to head towards the inheritance that the Lord has set before us. It's a journey to freedom. It's a journey to provision. It's a, it's a journey to abundance. And every step that we take, we gain more of what the Lord has set in our hearts to receive. Here's the beauty of this journey is that when the Lord leads us out of our Egypt, when he leads us out of our bondage and he leads us into freedom, he doesn't abandon us to find our own way to our inherited land. When he led the Israelites out of Egypt, he set before them a, cloud, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to lead them to the place where he was intending for them to go. In, um, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse, uh, starting in verse 11, this is, this is what the scripture says. In him we also have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, that we who first trusted in Christ should be the praise to be should be to the praise of his glory. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. So the Lord, even now, today, he doesn't intend to lead you out of your Egypt and lead you into salvation, lead you into this, this journey of faith and abandon you to find your own way. He sends his Holy Spirit and he gives us the Holy Scriptures as a way for us to follow the pillars that he has set before us. These are the pillars that we now have to follow on our faith journey to the inheritance that the Lord has set before us. There's a lot of times, I think, where, where, where we see that people come into salvation, they're led out of their Egypt, they're led out of their bondage, and then they don't follow the pillars that the Lord has set before them. They don't follow the scriptures, they don't follow um, the Holy Spirit, and what ends up happening is they live this messy kind of um, back and forth, up and down, wild, weird faith journey 
that almost seems like it's without purpose and without destination. And it's just because they haven't followed the pillars that the Lord has set before them. The Lord wants to lead you into goodness. But if you don't follow him, you're just going to wander around in this, in this wilderness forever. The Israelites, when they followed the pillars, they followed the pillars to exactly where the Lord d- destined them to be. Now, they made the decision not to cross over and take the land that the Lord had set apart for them. But he, the pillars led them exactly where they were supposed to be. Even uh, more often than, than that, I think what we see a lot of is we see a lot of people who um, come into sal- salvation, they're led out of their Egypt, they're led out of their bondage, only to pick up chains that appear righteous. So they are led out of their Egypt, out of their bondage, only to pick up the bondage of religion. I remember I took this, uh, I took this religion class in college, probably one of the only classes that I ever really paid attention in, to be honest with you. Um, one of the only classes I was ever like really interested in, and I took it as an elective just because it was there, and, I, and I, uh, it was led by this old Roman Catholic guy, and we learned about all different religions. It wasn't just like a Christianity class. It wasn't a, 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 you know, he wasn't evangelizing to us. He was literally just teaching us about world religions. And I remember hearing about uh, Buddhism. We were learning about Buddhism and Hinduism. And the premise of Buddhism and Hinduism is this idea of enlightenment. So in other words, we, we go through these cycles of reincarnation where if you're a good person, you are reincarnated into a more powerful or blessed or whatever word you might place to it uh, person after you bite the dust. Okay, And if you're a bad person, you just are uh, probably end up like a mushroom or something like that. I'm not really sure. But you're just reincarnated into whatever your life has made itself into. So if you're a good person, you reincarnated in something that somebody that's more powerful. If you're a bad person, you reincarnated into like a monkey or something. And uh, and I remember thinking like it's this this idea of of enlightenment is is although these religions will will call themselves religion, they'll say they serve a god. The god that they're really serving is themselves. Because enlightenment is is me centered. It's I'm I'm look I'm doing this for me. I'm doing this for my own enlightenment. I'm doing this so the one day I might be a god. And I remember thinking, oh, that life sounds really miserable. Just, just climbing the corporate ladder of religion. Just trying to make yourself a better person in hopes that next time you, you end up, next time you were born, you end up being a king or something like that. I don't know. Hoping that one day you find whatever enlightenment is, which nobody really knows what enlightenment is. And I remember thinking, that's just so, such a miserable life. But as I look back on that now, I realize that there's a lot of, uh, of, a lot of Christians who do the same thing. We, uh, we accept salvation, but then we pick up the chains of religion and we carry the chains of religion. And the chains of religion still serve us. The chains of religion still serves me. Because only a relationship with the blood of Jesus can take us to, to um, a Jesus-centered self, can put Jesus in the center of who, we're, who we are supposed to be. When we don't follow the pillars that the Lord has set before us, when we're not listening to the Holy Spirit and we're not digging into our scriptures, Smith Wigglesworth said you should consume the word until the word consumes you. I think that's a great way to put it. If we're not digging into the scriptures and we're not letting the Holy Spirit lead every step of our life, we won't know the way to our inheritance. Not only would we not know the way to our inheritance, we wouldn't recognize spiritual prosperity if it was right in front of us. 
We would be wandering around in the wilderness and we would walk by a little shack and we would say, well, I feel bad forever I to live there. But I know the Lord has taken me to a castle, so I'm going to keep walking until I find my castle. And what the Lord's really saying is, I want you to live in that shack and I want to fill you with so much of myself that that shack starts to feel like a castle. I want to fill you with so much of myself that the poverty that you live in feels like abundance because of how good I am in you. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus preaches maybe one of the best sermons in the history of the world. This is just not going to work here for me. This thing needs to be a little bit bigger. We're going to have to have Marvin like, like double this in size somehow. In Matthew chapter 5, uh, Jesus is preaching. And in, let me just read what it says here. And seeing the multitudes, he went up on a mountain. And he, when he was seated, his disciples came to him. This is important. His disciples were in front of him as he was speaking this. Because he's speaking into their hearts. He's giving assurance into their hearts. Then he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for their heart, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you, and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the, the prophets who were before you. What Jesus is saying to his disciples who had given up everything to follow him. Is he's saying, blessed is the man who gives up everything to follow me. And finds all of himself only in me now. Who finds all of his satisfaction only in me. Because when that happens, when the, Lord, when the world takes us, knocks us down... Heaven lifts us up. Because what the world starts to call burden on our lives, for the sake of Jesus, heaven calls blessed. And when we start to put Jesus at the absolute center of who we are, and we start to be filled only with his satisfaction, we start to be, find our peace only in him, him, find our joy only in him, find our satisfaction only in him, we start to live a life that is reflective in, of the way that Paul lived and when he spoke in Philippians chapter 4, and this is what he says, not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned whatever state I am in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned to both be both full and hungry, to both abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We love Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, where it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Like, we get that tattooed on our bodies and, and, and put bumper stickers on our car. But what Paul is saying, when you put it into the context of what Paul is saying, he says, I have been in suffering need. I've had little and I've had much. And I realize that regardless of what the circumstances are around me, all of my satisfaction, all of my joy, and all of my peace is only rooted in Jesus. 
So it doesn't matter if the world takes me low, if it doesn't matter if I'm in suffering need. Suffering need doesn't mean lack of joy. It doesn't mean lack of peace. It doesn't mean lack of satisfaction. What the world calls blessed, heaven calls, what the world calls burden, heaven calls blessed. And when we put all of our joy and our peace, our satisfaction and our ambition only in Jesus, when he becomes the absolute center of who we are, then we will go where Jesus goes. And we won't be intimidated by what the world calls burden because what the world calls burden, heaven calls blessed. And when we become, when all of ourselves become rooted in heaven, when all of our satisfaction becomes rooted in heaven and we seek and find, because Matthew chapter 7 said, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and the door will be open to you. So when you seek the face of God, you find the face of God. But when we are rooted in that, when we're rooted in seeking and finding, when we're being filled only with the goodness of God, then we start to look like the image of God that we are meant to look like. And we start to bear the image of Jesus in the world. So as we seek, as we find, as we, um, as we find ourselves in the presence of God, we start to look the way that God intended us for look. Because he created us in his image. And we start to look like his image whenever we start to seek out the presence of God. When we start to find our satisfaction only in him. When we put him in the center of us. And the world will see it because we will bear the image of Jesus in the world. I've heard people say before uh, this saying that Jesus died on the cross so that you didn't have to. And I, I, uh, I think, you know, it sounds good on the surface. It is a cute saying. But... If it's true, somebody should have told the disciples because nearly every one of them died a martyr's death. Somebody should have been like, yo, Peter, you don't have to die on that cross upside down. It's okay because Jesus already did that for you. Jesus came to do what we couldn't do. He came to do what we couldn't do, to die the death of an unblemished land, to, to fill the void that was between man, the hostility that was between the holiness of God and the sinfulness of man. He took it to a cross, he nailed it to a cross, and he buried it in a grave. Jesus, did, Jesus came to die in the flesh to show us the way to die to the flesh. And he rose again from the de dead to show us the way to life in the spirit. In Luke chapter 9, uh, verse 23, Jesus, Jesus says, says this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. When we start to, pick to, when we start to hear the true gospel, and we start to bear our cross... We start to pick up our cross daily and follow Jesus. When we set ourselves aside, we deny ourselves, and we say, whatever my flesh desires is, is going in the opposite direction of what my spirit desires. Galatians chapter 5 literally says that the flesh and the spirit are contrary to each other. In other words, they're going in different directions. We need to just decide which one we're going with. The flesh is going back towards bondage, 
and the spirit is going towards inheritance, and we have to decide which way we're going. I really feel like in this time, we're, we're being placed in the same place that um, in Joshua chapter 24, whenever Joshua called all the tribes of Israel down to Shechem, down to the place, actually, this is pretty amazing, down to the place where Jacob built a well, and he called it God, the God of Israel. And Joshua calls all of his people down, all of the tribes of Israel down, and he says, choose today which God you will serve. He said, you have seen God work. You have, you have obtained the inheritance that God has set before you. You have conquered cities that, that, that you had no business conquering. You have, been, you have seen the provision of God. Now choose to get today who you're going to serve. That's what Joshua says. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But when we start to deny ourselves and we start to pick up our cross and say, whatever it is, Jesus, wherever you're going, Jesus, that's where I want to go. I'll find all my satisfaction and peace in you. If you want to lead us into the valley of, of darkness, we'll be light in the darkness. If you want to lead us into a hardship, we'll find our peace and our satisfaction in you. When we start to do that, when we start to center Jesus in the middle of us, when he becomes our only desire, our only hope, then what happens is we give God the permission to function in his power and authority inside of us. In Acts chapter 16, starting in verse 16, this is what it says. Now it happened as we went, in, went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way to sal salvation. And this she did for many days and Paul greatly annoyed turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out of her that very hour. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city, and they teach customs which are not lawful for us, for us being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the magnitude arose together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And they had laid, the, laid many stripes on them, they threw them into the prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such charge, he put them in the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prisons were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's cha chains were loosened. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeking and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, then he called for a light, ran in and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. When they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were with him in his house, and he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and his family were baptized. Now when they brought him them into the house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So Paul and Silas are preaching the gospel, and Paul, um, um, Paul said, I had been crucified with Christ, and I longer, no longer live, but Christ who lives in me, and he lived it out. 
He, he picked up his cross and he followed Jesus. And when, and when Jesus took him into a city where he was beaten with rods, whipped and taken into the inner, inner parts of prison and shackled, what did they do? They prayed and they sang hymns. Because all of their satisfaction and all their joy and all their peace was only rooted in Jesus. And you know how we know that? Because when the earth shook and the doors fell off, they didn't run for peace because they already had it. They didn't have to run out of prison to, to, to get their, their liberation because they already had liberation in Jesus. They didn't have to, they didn't have to retreat out of, out of jail and out of, out of the city in order to find joy because they already had joy. All their joy was in Jesus. So when the jailer came in, he's about to kill himself. They said, well, we didn't run anywhere. And the jailer gets saved. Here's what's really cool about this. The jailer and his whole entire family get saved. This happens in Philippi. And, and later on, Paul writes a letter to the church of Philippi, which would have been based in the city that this, this jailer would, and his family would have been saved. This, this, this letter to the church of Philippi would have likely been read by this guy and his family. And you know what he says? This is really cool. This is what he says in chapter, uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 22. He kind of slides this in at the end. Doesn't elaborate. Just slides it in at the end. He says, all of the saints, he, he, now he's writing, let me just remind you, he's writing to the church of Philippi from jail in Rome. So he's under the household of Caesar, he's under the service of Caesar, he's in jail in Rome. And he said, all of the saints greet you, especially those of the household of Caesar. And you know what he's writing to that jailer and his family that had been saved and had, had seen transformation in their life and everybody around them had seen the transformation in their life? He says, now I'm in jail under Roman authority, under Caesar's authority, and everybody in his household is coming to know me too, or coming to know Jesus too. Because the very people that were trying to keep Paul and Silas from liberation were receiving liberation. What happens when we start to fully root ourselves in joy? You know what Jesus says? I can do something with that. And he might lead us into some really sketchy and, 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 and some areas of our life and some, and some circumstances and some situations that world look at us and say, wow, that is burdensome. And you know what the Lord says? I call that blessed because I can work in that. Because if you'll find all your joy and all your peace and all your hope in me, I can work in that. I can let my power and my authority rule through that if you'll find all your joy and all your hope and all your peace in me. In the late 1700s, there was a group of missionaries and they were called one-way missionaries. And the reason they were called one-way missionaries is because they knew that they were going to places and they were never coming back. They literally packed their belongings in coffins and they set off on a journey to the place that the Lord had told them to go to, knowing that they were never coming home again. And there was one of these one-way missionaries. His name was A.W. Milne. This is a true story. He had felt the Lord was calling him to this place called New Hebrides, okay? New Hebrides is a set of islands, and it was full of these people that they called headhunters because every single missionary that had gone there before him was martyred. But A.W. Milne didn't, it didn't matter to him because he'd packed his coffin. He said to live as Christ, to die as gain. Let's get it on, you know what I mean? He's going to New Hebrides. By the power of the Holy Spirit, he gains favor with the people of New Hebrides. And he lives there with them for 35 years. 
as a missionary after they had martyred every single person that had gone before him. And when he died after 35 years, they buried him in the dead middle of New Hebrides. And this is what they wrote on the tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. Because when we, Pastor Jeff talked last week about getting out of the grave, I'm going to tell you to pack up your coffins. Pack up your coffins and follow the Lord. Because when we start to find ourselves rooted only in Him, when all of our peace and all of our joy, all of our hope is only rooted in Jesus, when we've packed our coffins and said, wherever you want to go, Lord, let's go. And if they, if they kill me, they kill me. When we have taken that stance... Then, then the darkness won't become a, an object for us to overcome. It will be subject to the authority in us. When we, when, when we go where the Lord says us, when we center Jesus in the center of our hearts, and we just go wherever the Lord says go, when we have followed the pillars that the Lord has set before us, we follow the scriptures, and we've let the Holy Spirit lead us, no matter where he leads us, the darkness will run. The darkness will not be an object that we have to overcome. It will be subject to the authority that was in us. We'll start to bear the image of Jesus in the world. And when Jesus lived in the world, he rolled up on an island where a man was filled with an army of demons. And the army of demons begged for mercy at his feet. The army of demons were subject to whatever his voice told them to do. And when we start to bear the image of Jesus in the world, when we put Jesus at the absolute center of who we are, and we start to live in the image of God, we start to bear the image of Jesus in the world, that same Holy Spirit will fill us, and the power and authority that lives in the Holy Spirit will be uh, displayed inside of us, and the darkness will be subject to the authority in us. That doesn't mean we'll never go through a hard time. That doesn't mean that hardship and struggle won't come. But when we're in the middle of hardship and struggle, we won't feel like we're in lack. We won't feel like we're in toil because we will live in the abundance of heaven. We'll be rooted completely in heaven. And when bad things happen, we won't sit there looking for a way out. We'll say, Lord, how do you want to use me in this? What do you want to do in this? Because I'm all yours. And I know that my joy, my peace, and all, all that I am is rooted only in heaven. All that I am is rooted only in you, Lord. So whatever you want to do in this season, I'm okay with it. I don't have to run. When the door is open, I don't have to run from this because I'm rooted in you. I don't have to run to attain something that I already have. I really feel like more than ever before, I, this is what I feel like. I feel like Jesus is coming back soon. I really do. I think that Jesus is coming back soon. If you read in, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, um, just starting in verse 1, I'm just going to read this real quick. I don't put this on the slides, but I just want to share this with you real quick. So it says, but, but know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, uh, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having 
form of godliness, but denying its power. And I think if that doesn't describe today, I don't know what does. If that doesn't describe our culture today, I don't know what does. And he labels that as in the last days. And I think Jesus is coming back soon. And I watched Hacksaw Ridge a couple months ago. How many of you guys have ever seen Hacksaw Ridge? If you hopefully weren't planning on watching today, because I am going to ruin it for you. I watched it again a, few, a, a couple months ago, ago and, and this has been on my mind since, it, um, since, it, since I've watched this. And, and I'll just tell you, for those of you that, don't, that, that haven't watched it, um, Hacksaw Ridge is a true story about this guy named Desmond Doss. And he had a conviction in his heart that he wasn't supposed to pick up a gun, but he, he said that that didn't exempt him from joining the military and, fu- and, and, and laying his life down for the freedom of of his people. So he joined the army in the middle of World War II, and he was a medic, so he didn't carry a weapon. And they sent him over to this battle where uh, it was, this, it was, a, it was a, an absolute pivotal battle for, the, for, the, for World War II. And the U.S. Army was at the bottom of this, the base of this cliff, and the Japanese soldiers had set up um, their camp at the top of this cliff, and and the army would go up, and they would fight these battles on the top of this cliff, and they would be pushed back off the top of the off the co- top of the cliff because they had um, the Japanese had basically used this this cliff as a boundary that was going to help them. And so at night, when all of the U.S. Army had retreated back down the cliff, Desmond Doss stayed at the top of this cliff by himself, without a weapon, going and rescuing people who had been injured in battle. And he would tie them up when he, he would drag them to the edge of this cliff and he would tie them up and he would drop them down this cliff. And, and these, these people at the bottom, the, the army, the U.S. Army at the bottom are watching all night as men drop off of this cliff, are lowered down off this cliff to safety. They're rescued by this man. They say he rescued 75 men in one night. 75 men he single-handedly lowered down a rope off of a cliff. And he said that they interviewed him, and he said that every time he would lower another one down, he would pray out loud, Lord, just give me one more. And I keep thinking, you know, because I'm, I'm so sure that the Lord is coming back soon, I keep thinking, I wonder if the Father's in heaven and saying, Jesus, it's time to go now. And Jesus is saying, just give me one more, God. Just give me one more. And I think the Lord is in a season where he's preparing his bride and he's gathering the remaining. He's gathering the remnant and and Jesus is fighting to say just one more. Give me one more. And I think the body of Christ, we have to put Jesus at the center of us. We have to be able to go into those dark places. We have to be willing to make those dark places subject to the light inside of us. And we have to go after the ones that Jesus is waiting for saying, just give me one more. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's you. Maybe Jesus is just waiting on you. I tend to believe he loves us enough that he would, he would wait on just one more. I'm going to close this up in prayer. If you need prayer today, come and receive uh, what the Lord wants to do in you. The Lord is doing something in this time. He's doing something in this season. He's preparing his bride in this time. And we need to make sure that as the body of Christ that we are completely Jesus-centered. That every one of us, every member of us is just completely Jesus-centered. That every one of us is willing to say, Lord, whatever you want to do in me, whatever you want to do in me, do it. And you will never live a day of your life outside of the feeling of abundance. 
You'll never live a day of your life outside of the provision of God. When you've rooted yourself in heaven, you'll never feel like you're lacking. You'll always feel like you're abounding. Let's pray. Lord, we're just, you're, just go, you're so good to us, Lord. And we're thankful that you fight for us, Lord. Lord, we're thankful that you lead us out of, of bondage and you in, intend to lead us um, into freedom in you, Lord. So God, we want to follow you to our inheritance, which is you. We want to follow you all the way till we come to the streets of gold, Lord. We want to follow the pillars that you set before us. We want to deny ourselves. We want to pick up our cross every day, and we want to follow you, Lord. Lord, and as we do that, we pray that the authority and power of your spirit would function in us. Lord, that in the times of chaos of our lives, in the time of hardship in our lives, Lord, that we would root, root ourselves so deeply in you, Lord, that we would feel your goodness even in those times. Lord, we just make room for you. As a body, we make room for you. As individuals, we make room for you, Lord. Do what you want in us. Lord, we give all of ourselves to you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.